I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey there, history fans. We're taking the day off, but don't worry. We've got plenty of classic shows to tide you over. Check out these selections from previous years of This Day in History class, and I'll meet you back here tomorrow with a brand new episode. See you then. Hi, I'm Eves. Welcome to This Day in History class. A show that reveals a little bit more about history, day by day. The day was May 30th, 1953. Just before midday, Edmund Hillary of New Zealand and Nepalese Sherpa Tenzing Norgay reached the summit of Mount Everest, the highest point above global mean sea level. The pair became the first recorded people to summit the mountain, and since then, thousands of people have attempted to climb Everest. Mount Everest is located in the Himalayas in Nepal and Tibet. It's the highest mountain on Earth above sea level. The climb to the top of the mountain is extremely challenging and dangerous. Oxygen levels are low at the summit, and the weather is cold and unpredictable. The first recorded attempt to climb Mount Everest happened in 1921, when a British expedition trekked miles across the Tibetan plateau to the bottom of the mountain. They had to cut their climb short when a storm broke out, but mountaineer George Lee Mallory was determined to complete the climb. Mallory, along with George Finch and Jeffrey Bruce, took a shot at the climb the next year, but did not make it to the top. Later in 1922, Mallory attempted to summit Everest again, but the climb ended in disaster when several Sherpas died in an avalanche. Two years later, climber Edward Norton approached the summit without using artificial oxygen, setting a world altitude record but not reaching the top. That same year, Mallory and climber Andrew Irvine set off on an attempt to reach the summit, but the two were never seen alive again and Mallory's body was found on the mountain in 1999. 
More people attempted to summit Everest via Tibet and then Nepal. The north route up Everest through Tibet was closed, and Nepal only allowed one trip from the south annually. Britain had dibs on 1953, France was set for 1954, and Switzerland for 1955. In 1952, Tenzig, Norgay, and Raymond Lambert attempted the feat and made it to just below the South Summit, but they had to turn around for supplies. The next year, a British expedition under the command of Colonel John Hunt was put together. New Zealanders Edmund Hillary and George Lowe, as well as Sherpa Tenzig Norgay, were part of the expedition. The climbers had specially equipped clothing, radio equipment, and oxygen systems. The team had brought 362 porters, 20 Sherpas, and 10,000 pounds of luggage. On March 10th, the 1953 British Everest expedition set out from Kathmandu. In April and May, they ascended the mountain. On the night of May 29th, Hillary and Norgay, the second assault team, prepared for the climb to the summit. Tenzing had made six summit attempts before this one. Their oxygen supply was short, and the pair would have to do with three liters a minute rather than the four they had planned for. They ate sardines, jam, and honey, and drank hot water with lemon. By 6.30 in the morning on May 30th, Hillary and Norgay left camp for the summit in negative 17-degree Fahrenheit weather with two 20-pound cylinders of oxygen, one of which was only partially filled. By 9 in the morning, they reached the South Summit. And at 11.30 a.m., the two became the first to summit Mount Everest. Hillary took three photos of his climbing partner and laid down a cross. Tenzing left some sweets at the top of the mountain. They made their way back down to camp 15 minutes after they reached the summit. Queen Elizabeth II knighted Hillary for the achievement. Norgay received the British Empire Medal for the feat. Hillary went on more adventures, including to the North and South Poles. He established the Himalayan Trust and assisted Sherpas in Nepal. Norgay became the first director of field training of the Himalayan Mountaineering Institute in Darjeeling and later founded a trekking adventure company. The effects climbers have on Mount Everest and the environment, as well as the danger of conditions on Everest for climbers, remains a topic of debate. I'm Eve's Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And as an additional note, there has been controversy over whether Norgay and Hillary were really the first to get to the summit. Some say that Andrew Irvine and George Mallory made it to the top on their fatal climb and just did not make it back down. Thank you for joining me today. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at T-D-I-H-C podcast. And if you are interested in learning more about history, you can listen to the show Unpopular, a new podcast hosted by me that's about people who took a stand against the status quo to create meaningful change. You can subscribe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you again tomorrow. 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, 
there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. It's spring, and with the weather changing and so many great things coming up, like Mother's Day and the wind-down tour, I definitely need a fresh spring wardrobe for every occasion. This spring, I'm looking for that perfect, flowy spring dress for Mother's Day, as well as replacing my everyday basics. That's what I love about JCPenney. They have so many stylish and comfortable options that I always find just what I'm looking for there. Spring is a feel-good season and comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. The fashion at JCPenney is the same way. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with styles that gets you, something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her, each in women's petite and plus sizes, and Stafford and Mutual Weave for him, style and comfort for all, even big and tall, plus even more for the whole family like Levi's and Exertion. Here, spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, Time ends. Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Hey y'all, I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History Class, a podcast where we open the book of history, flip through it, and tear out a page. The day was May 30th, 1967. The Republic of Biafra declared its independence from Nigeria. In 1914, the Colony and Protectorate of Nigeria was established, British Governor-General Frederick Lugard instituted a policy of indirect rule. In this setup, traditional structures were allowed to remain to establish regulations, but they were subordinate to British officials. Britain used existing ethnic and social divisions to keep Nigerians from organizing effective political resistance to its rule. It encouraged competition between Nigeria's largest ethnic groups, the House of Fulani, Igbo, and Yoruba. In 1954, Britain divided Nigeria into the northern, western, and eastern regions, with the latter two in the southern half of the federation. Each region was soon dominated by an ethnic group, the House of Fulani in the north, the Yoruba in the west, and the Igbo in the east. As the British consolidated their power in the region, ethnic and religious tension escalated. At the same time, the British faced dissent from the Nigerians who challenged British rule. In 1960, Nigeria gained independence from Britain. Abu Bakar Tafawa Balewa became the first prime minister. But the period just after independence was marked by violent leadership transitions and regional hostilities. Though some nationalists wanted a unified Nigeria, the state was immensely divided. The government was led by the Northern People's Congress in alliance with the National Council of Nigerian Citizens. And in 1963, the country became a republic. But ethnic conflict, as well as economic and social imbalances, brought tensions to a head. In January of 1966, the civilian government was deposed in a coup. 
and General Aguiyi Iransi and Igbo became the head of state. Igbo leaders claimed the coup was an attempt to save Nigeria from dissolution, but the House of Fulani and Yoruba people remained suspicious. The new administration abolished the federation and instituted a unitary state, but the leaders of the coup were accused of favoring Igbo domination. In July of 1966, General Yakubu Gowan, an Anga from the Middle Belt of Nigeria, led a counter-coup with help from northern groups. Aguiyi Aransi was killed, along with thousands of others from the south who were living in the north. Gowan restored the federal state. He promised to restore democratic rule, but continued ethnic tensions led to massacres. Thousands of southern Nigerians living in the north, particularly Igbos, were killed. Northern Nigerians were also targeted in eastern Nigeria. After the pogroms in the north, thousands of Igbos fled to their traditional lands in southern and eastern Nigeria. Gowan's government did not respond to Igbo appeals for justice, and support grew for Igbo secession. On May 30, 1967, the eastern region seceded and proclaimed the Republic of Biafra. Igbo leader General Ameka Ojukwu declared the Republic of Biafra a free and sovereign state. He also recommended that Biafra become a member of the Commonwealth of Nations and adopt a federal constitution based on the new provincial units. Ojukwu proclaimed that all ties between the Republic of Biafra and the Federal Republic of Nigeria were dissolved. He also declared that any contractual obligation entered into by any authority or organization within the Republic of Biafra would be considered as entered into with the government of the Republic of Biafra. The Nigerian government turned to violence to reclaim the region. For more than two years, Biafra and the government of Nigeria were engaged in a civil war. Biafra did gain recognition from some African states and received aid from international organizations, but Ojukwu fled the country, and Biafra surrendered in January of 1970. More than a million people are estimated to have died during the Civil War, including many Biafran civilians who died from starvation. After the war, the Nigerian government adopted a policy of no victor, no vanquished. Biafra was reabsorbed into Nigeria. The federal government proceeded to consolidate its power, and the Igbos grew more influential, but they were still marginalized. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can send them to us via email at thisday at iheartmedia.com. You can also hit us up on social media. We're at TDIHC Podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the show, and we'll see you tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust 
into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network work.